0: Hello and welcome to the Ready Room, the Treks and Sci-Fi microcast. I'm Kenny and I play Captain Nathan Quinn. I'm going solo this week once again, so this will pretty much just be post-readings to catch everybody up on the story so far for the Trux and Sci-Fi RPG game. So let's take a listen to this week's readings.
1: Accessing library computer data. Initiating the story so far. Enter when ready.
2: Lieutenant Christopher Dunn walked back into sickbay looking distinctly unhappy. He'd only just been promoted from Ensign and now he had to keep the boss he looked up to under close supervision and question a young Ensign recovering in sickbay. As he walked past the cullen, he glanced quickly, almost furtively, at his boss whose eyes did not leave him. Excuse me doctor, he said quietly to the Trill. I'm afraid I've been asked to obtain a little more detail from Ensign Goldar. Ryler looked at Dunn for a moment and gestured to Goldar with an open hand. By all means, Lieutenant. If you don't mind my hovering, I have a job to do as well. All new crew members are required to undergo a routine physical, and since the Ensign is already here... Chris nodded, once then turned and approached Goldar, who looked slightly embarrassed at the state of undress in the presence of so many alert security personnel. He took a deep breath. This was going to be uncomfortable and I've been ordered to ask you some more questions. Gul'dar sat up, once again glancing quickly at the callant, who gave him a quick wink in reply. Okay, sir, um, uh, please, go ahead. Dunn sat down on the edge of the bio bed and, leaning forward, looked Gul'dar in the eye. You're a, uh, Ferengi, Ensign. Unusual for a Ferengi to join Starfleet, isn't it? Guldar up backwards a little as if physically assaulted, while mentally groping for a response. It wasn't the first time his species had come up as discussion point, and he was sure that it wouldn't be the last. In the current situation, however, the question was much more disturbing than it had ever been before. In the confines of a late-night cadet discussion, it was a fairly innocent point of debate, and, perhaps, a little ribbing. In the context of a major security breach by an illegal and possibly immoral organisation, he took on a much more sinister and menacing overtone. Breathing deeply, Gul'dar straightened his back and mustered as much of an officer's bearing as he could before answering. It uh, is unusual, sir, but it's not unheard of, as I'm sure you are aware, with the son of Negus himself holding a Starfleet commission. It is a career choice that is at least tolerated, if not accepted, among my people. Dunn looked unimpressed and pressed ahead. But uh, it's in your nature to acquire gold Latinrum. To make money, to be greedy. How long have you been uh, associated with thirty one? "'Ryla gave Chris a bewildered look. Where did that come from? she mumbled disapprovingly. She was about ready to toss him out of sick by despite the orders he was given. Goldar sat motionless for a full thirty seconds, looking at Lieutenant Dunn and saying nothing. he feared he would be implicated in whatever was going on here, but he hadn't expected to be handled so directly, so clumsily or so publicly he also hadn't expected such a direct racial slur. It didn't help that he could hear much of what he hated about his father in his questioned tone. He held on to his temper, but only by a thread afterwards, he would admit that it was probably only the fact that Dunn had the backing of a full security squad that prevented him from committing an act of supreme insubordination, gritting his teeth. He stuttered out a response. The anger was almost palatably layered on every word. 31, as you call it, was unknown to me until I was escorted from the shuttle bay at the orders of Commander James earlier today. Had Ensign Shane not been kind enough to fill me in, it would be unknown to me still. If I have any association with him, I would estimate that it commenced at about the time a stranger entered Shuttle Bay 4 on Starbase 416 and introduced himself to me as Lieutenant Commander de Calum's brother. After pausing a moment, he continued, sarcasm now dripping from every word. As to what is or is not in my nature, then I fear that I owe you an apology. <laughs> I had thought you to be a simple human, sir. And therefore disabled in the area of telepathic ability, had I realized that you are a species that can not only determine what is in someone's nature at first meeting, but also read a Ferengi, then I would obviously have behaved more appropriately. As she continued her exam, Vyla smiled at Goldar's well delivered rebuttal and suppressed the desire to applaud him for it. Finished Gul'dar slouched again, almost panting from the effort he'd expended. He didn't meet Dunn’s gaze, instead looking appealingly first at the Khanan and then the Doctor. Dr. Dret read his unspoken petition, and interjected as she drew blood from Gul'dar for his physical. I, uh, think you've had an immense burden placed on your shoulders, Lieutenant, and the stress of your new responsibilities has affected your judgment. Mr. Gul'dar isn't a criminal, he's a witness, and the Ferengi people aren't delinquents. She tossed the last comment out with a bit more emotion than she intended, but Dunn's line of questioning was rather offensive, even if it wasn't his intent. Embarrassed by Viola's rebuke, Christopher blushed and stammered out an apology. I'm, a, uh, am sorry, Anson, I shouldn't have taken that tongue with you, and I didn't mean to insult you or your people. Goldar looked back at the Callan, who nodded slowly and flicked his eyes up at Dunn and gave a smile. Sighing, Goldar locked eyes with the embarrassed lieutenant. Apology accepted, sir. What a other information do you need? Christopher relaxed slightly. He loved being part of the security team, but found having to question one of his own crewmates very awkward. He changed his tactic and went for his own personal approach, something he felt he should have done from the start. Ensign. When you were with the Section 31 agent, did you notice anything strange about his appearance? Gul'dar relaxed as well and pulled a sheet up over his torso, thinking for a moment. Strange. No, sir, not, at least not physically. You have to understand that humans, I do not know, appear very much alike to me. Some differentiation is possible, but that takes practice, and I am not yet experienced enough to make such judgments. He jumped as the doctor probed the delicate spot. Refusing to even glance in her direction, he continued. The, uh, the only thing I could describe as strange is that he gave no name, simply informing me that I should call him Sir. Unusual for someone out of uniform in Starfleet facilities. Unusual that I should comply with such an instruction, too. Chris tapped his pad quickly. "Your uh, colleague, Lieutenant Andrews. How long had you known him? Did he seem different over the past few days? Godog grimaced slightly before answering. It's uh, odd really. I've known him for the last 4 months ever since I first arrived on the base. We uh we work different shifts but out of uh, duty rotation means we've been friends of a sort. Um to be honest, Nick was the only person aboard that I thought I knew better than anyone. He shook his head almost sadly. Earlier this week I was due to relieve him aboard ship. We were on shuttle bay duty here, overseeing the repair schedule and shuttle rotation. I arrived on duty slightly earlier and Nick wasn't around. He, uh, he eventually emerged from Jeffrey's tube. 77. Seven, yeah, 77. Without his combat. he retrieved it shortly after I pointed it out. I, uh, I went to see him later that day, right after giving permission to transfer to the Arabella. ''I had some trouble getting him to the and once he let me in. Uh, I mean, I know he's human, but his quarters were really a mess, much more than usual.'' Dunn raised an eyebrow at the implied racial slur, but let it slide. ''One all,'' he thought. Uh, ''That was when I found the detonator at his quarters,'' Gordar concluded. Ryla moved closer to Christopher and whispered a warning. ''One more question, Lieutenant.'' Goldar, thank you for your help. Again, I am sorry for any insults I may have made earlier. I have one last question for you. Goldar nodded and waited as Chris scrambled his pad. Do you have any idea what Angel's involvement in all of this was, apart from the detonation? Shaking his head, Goldar looked at the floor. I've I've asked myself this a few times, sir, and don't really have an answer. He was obviously piloting the shuttle and was probably responsible for rearming it when security had finished with it a few days ago. I'm assuming he set the detonators to prevent anyone from following him, but why he got involved in all this and who it was he was carrying, I... I have no idea.
0: Quinn walked into sickbay and glanced at the security guards. He found Joseph de Collin at the far end of the room. Joseph turned his head as he saw the captain walking towards him and immediately sat up in bed and winced. Still in pain, Mr. DeColin? Joseph looked up. If I'm honest, sir, it's more like... Quinn pulled up a chair and looked over to Dunn as he approached and stood at attention. Nathan nodded. At ease, Lieutenant. Please leave us. Dunn nodded and walked over to the other two security guards at the entrance. Mr. James has been relieved of duty for not cooperating and answering my questions. I want to know exactly what happened. The colonel took a deep breath and concentrated on his words as he spoke. I'd had a very busy time before you left. I completed the Bowers case, welcomed the new ensign assigned to the team, locked Bowers up for fighting, and then had my meeting with Mr. James. I came out of the meeting feeling somewhat drained, but happy that I was finally going to enjoy my shore leave. I packed, got my cricket gear ready, and headed to the station. I walked through the doors, and the first thing I saw was a blurred shape of a person. I put it down to just being tired as the image vanished near enough straight away. I then went to the store, picked up some provisions, ate a small bit of lunch, and then headed to the shuttle bay to be flown to the planet. It was there that I gave Ensign Galdar... Oh, he's over there, by the way. Joseph pointed to the Ferengi sitting on the bio bed being examined by Dr. Dret. He continued. I gave him his orders. Uh, I sat in the shuttle and waited for my pilot. I waited for a while, but um, no one showed up. So I decided to go and find out where my pilot was, and I suddenly felt dizzy. Thinking about it now, I had a severe headache, and then a pain shot through my stomach. I coughed up blood and collapsed. I remember crawling out and hitting my combat for help. I then saw the same blurred vision I saw on the promenade coming forward. It bent down and looked so familiar, but in like a dream way. Quinn nodded. And then, it went dark. The pain in my head and stomach overwhelmed me, and then I woke up here in sickbay. It was here that Lieutenant Dunn informed me that my brother was here. I then guessed that maybe it was Theron who I had seen in the shuttlebay. I gave him permission to come aboard to see me, but then... Well... It all seems quite hazy, sir. I then had a communication from him. He sounded different somehow, but he sent me the information that I gave Mr. James... It was all garbled information. Nothing made sense except for some words stood out. I worked out that the beginning of each letter spelt out words. I am the old man. Be warned, is what it said. I could only imagine that somehow the old man was Theron, not the man claiming to be my brother. Quinn raised his hand and Joseph fell silent. So you didn't see your brother? DeColin shook his head. No, sir. Please continue, Mr. DeColin, Nathan said with a slight nod. Joseph stretched his back and continued. The thing is, sir, I know security protocol like the back of my hand. I allowed my brother to come aboard, but I know I would have ordered security to hold him in sickbay until I got there, or he was to be accompanied at all times to sickbay. The thing is, sir, I didn't, and I have no idea why. I'm at a total loss. Quinn took a deep breath. Hmm. This isn't adding up. Nathan looked into Joseph's eyes and concentrated. He swam into his mind and found no opposition to his probing. Joseph was telling the truth, but there was something else. Quinn stood abruptly, turned, and headed out of sickbay. Quinn was quickly walking down the corridor when his badge chirped. Captain, we are receiving a Code 47 communication from Starfleet, said Ensign Danner from his temporary posting at Operations. It was the ultra secure communication that happened so rarely that the infant had never expected to see one in his lifetime. Nathan stopped in his tracks and said under his breath Co fifty seven. He then raised his voice. I'll take it to my ready room. Moments later, the captain had barely settled into his seat when the communication channel opened to display the face of Rear Admiral Shas, the deputy chief of Starfleet Intelligence. Captain Quinn I know that recent events have abruptly ended your vacation, so I won't take up much of your time. Nathan nodded. It is good to see you, Admiral Shaws. It's been a while. I hope you're doing well. Yes, I am doing fine, Captain, thank you. And I will keep this brief, the middle-aged human woman said softly. Under the authority of General Orders 5 and 11, you will release Lieutenant Commander Eric James from the brig and allow him to complete his assigned task. Quinn sat there, slightly stunned. I see. Orders 5 and 11. Do I at least get an explanation as to what has been happening? Shaus raised her hand and halted Quinn. I'm sorry, Captain, but this is classified operation, and the specifics of this operation is none of your concern. Nathan, in turn, cut her off. "'I beg to differ, Admiral. "'These events have involved my crew and ship, "'and I will not allow them to continue without an explanation.' "'The soft-spoken woman's voice raised with authority. "'Mr. Quinn, I can easily remove you from duty. "'But I am asking, no. "'I am ordering that you release Lieutenant Commander James now.' "'Quinn took a deep breath and gave a curt nod. "'The screen went blank. Five minutes later, Quinn entered the brig. "'Eric James stood at attention behind the force field.' The captain cleared his throat. throat) Mr. James, I have been ordered to release you and allow you to continue your duties. Nathan gave the security guard a nod, who then deactivated the force field. Eric walked by Nathan, who grabbed his upper arm and said quietly so Eric could only hear. If anyone is harmed on this ship because of your actions, I will personally see that you are held responsible and prosecuted for them. Eric didn't reply as Quinn released his arm and exited the bridge. "'Eric shook his head slowly as he tapped his comm badge. "'Computer, open an encrypted channel to the USS Stalwart Lieutenant Commander James to Captain Jefferson.' "'Jefferson here,' replied the gruff male voice of the captain of a Defiant-class vessel that had recently arrived in the system. "'Is the prisoner ready for my visit?' Eric asked as he headed out of the brig. "'The prisoner's ready, Commander,' Jefferson replied. "'Let us know when you're ready to transport.' "'Eric finally ended his connection to the Arabella, then spoke again. "'Energize.' "'Did you come to poke
3: a stick at an angry bear?' asked the prisoner as he glared at Eric James through the force field. He wanted to kill the Starfleet officer, and he would have if the field was deactivated and his binders released. Eric sighed. (sighs) "'You brought this on yourself. The life you chose had consequences, and this is the result of your choice.' He had every reason to dislike the prisoner. It was Eric who had pushed this man... ...and Savril together in the current timeline. Had he known then... ...what he knew about this man... ...he would have never mentioned her to the Oaf... ...during their Dom Jat match. But it wasn't about Eric... ...or the prisoner. It was about the lives that they were both... ...intertwined in. Is there anything you want me to tell her? David Locke felt his muscles... ...tense at the mention of his wife. He imagined the sound... ...that Eric's broken neck would make... ...when he got his hands on him... And it made him smile. I'll pass my own messages along. Being bonded to a Vulcan has its benefits. You feel them no matter their distance. He stood from the metal bed and took three intimidating steps towards his visitor. Eric raised a brow. I know what it's like to be bonded to... But I was talking about your daughter, Marin. She deserves better. Eric moved closer to the force field. "'You should have left 31 for Savril when she asked you to.' "'David suddenly struck the field, separating them. "'The result was a violent pop of energy. "'Eric hadn't moved, which made only the prisoner's anger burn hotter. "'31 has a retirement plan. It's called death. "'I've looked into it, and I can't say I've been too eager to reach it.' "'The two men glared at each other at length before David continued.' I know you haven't come in here for a message. What do you want, you smug Carnath? Eric ignored the Vulcan slight. Instead, he offered a weak smile and began to pace as he gathered his thoughts. I'm torn. Part of me wants to see you brought up to justice for the wrong that you've committed in the name of the Federation. The other part realizes that if that happens, the people that I care about will end up suffering the most. Did you know that Starfleet Intelligence is looking for Savril because of you? A mirthless chuckle slowly welled within David. Why do you think I'm here? They wanted to court-martial her. I'm volunteering everything I know in exchange for my wife's pardon. His fell into step with Eric's pacing. The lieutenant commander crossed his arms and sighed. What are we going to do for her? The two men stopped and faced one another. "'I'm doing it now,' David growled as he held up his hands to display the binders. Eric took another slow breath. "'I know you believe that 31 is just, and you've been working with them because of that. I can respect the intent behind your actions, but I can't agree with them.' He paused a moment, staring into the other man's eyes. "'I don't know what to tell your daughter. I'm not sure if I should bring her to see you, or keep her far away from this cell as possible.' what would you have me to do? She's used to her father's absence, but with her mother and brother missing, she needs me. David turned a hard glare on Eric as he remembered a promise the man once made to him. You told me you'd watch them while I was on Romulus. I guess I misunderstood the meaning behind your words. All you did was watch. But you promised to protect. Sometimes the best laid plans fail, especially when fighting the Borg and trying to keep your vessel in one piece. I did the best I could do to look after them, Eric replied wistfully, as he began to pace once more. Savril and our daughters are going to bring Naval home. Sarian has an entire species and a fleet of ships looking for him, and I doubt that she and Savril will let anything get in their way. David tried to ignore the plural use of the word daughter or the pairing of our to that word. Arya was a clone that Eric had described as his child. He even called Savril her mother. Had he used Savril to create another clone? Arya had been the source of his hatred for Eric. He worked his jaw and focused on his own daughter. I don't want Marin to see me in this cell. If it can be arranged, I'd like to visit her on the Arabella. (laughs) I don't know if it's in my power to do that, David. We're in the middle of an operation, and we still don't know who can be trusted. If they let you out, even for a brief meeting, you know it will paint a target on your back, and Marin will be caught in the middle. I'll see if I can get a hollow communicator installed in your cell to allow you to visit her on the holodeck. I know it's not the same thing, but at least it's something. Eric glanced behind him to see the silent guard standing within earshot. The lieutenant commander closed his eyes and reached out with his mind. We, we both, know both know the reason. Captured 31 operatives are never brought to trial. How long do you, do you think you have before your people try to silence you? Are you sure that your former employers won't see Savrail so so and the kids as a threat or an example to be made after your escape? For their sake, I hope you are not planning anything.
1: David's expression shifted despite his effort to hide the helplessness he felt. He knew Eric was right. He was a dead man, and he wouldn't be able to flee that outcome, not without risking the lives of his wife and children. He turned back to face Eric. I knew you came to poke a stick at me. Eric frowned. I came to see you, hoping that you had a grasp of the situation, and I wanted to let you know that I respect what you have done for your family. The prisoner sneered at his visitor. I don't need your respect, and I've got a firm grasp on what's going on. Once I'm out of the way, you'll have a clear path to Savril. Eric hesitated a moment before replying. We are not too different, you and I. We're both duty-bound to a fault. And we both manipulated the truth to get what we want. I kept silent, and you took a wife. I'm involved because I don't want her coming back to a court-martial. And you can rest easy. I haven't been chasing after her. I respect the vow she keeps. I'm just trying to help. Eric projected as he spoke aloud. Your death will hurt her, and I don't want to see that happen. I'll see if I can find you a way out of this, but if I succeed, you can never come back. Make sure that she is in the clear, then distance yourself from her so that she and the twins can't be used to draw you out again. David laughed as he gave his unspoken reply. You're not going to take down the whole organization, and there will be no place safe to shuffle me off to. I'll be hunted down. I'm already dead, he whispered. "'If there's anything I can do, have them contact me.' "'Right. They'll be just as cooperative as I have been,' David replied sarcastically. Eric sighed. "'I have no choice but to follow through with this, but my only priority is to ensure your family's safety.' "'It's my priority as well,' said the Terran through clenched teeth. He didn't like the fact that he and Eric had common goals. The Arabella's acting XO nodded, then moved to grip his hands behind his back. The other purpose of my visit has to do with property, which belongs to me, that went missing from the Aurora around the time of your visit last year. It turned up in the hands of another 31 agent recently. Do you have any idea how that happened? A slight smile spread over David's face. The personal cloaking device, yes. Acquiring the tech from your vessel was an extracurricular mission that I carried out before we set out to rescue Krell. It was supposed to give me the upper hand during the Romulus operation. Now someone else has stolen it from you? Eric shook his head. This isn't some phaser that can be easily replicated. It's not even tech that the Federation should have. What did you do with it after you took it? Did you try to copy it? David frowned. No, the techs did. They created a new device for Theron when he joined my mission. With all the impressive telepaths aboard, surely one of you could sense his presence. Yes, I saw the flawed copy, but I was more concerned with the original, Eric said. As for the rogue Mr. DeKallen... He hasn't gone anywhere that we didn't want him to go. Our ship is more than just telepaths, and things are currently in motion to end this. I just hope when this is over, everything will have come to a conclusion. No further lies, no coming to settle the score. Good luck with that, David said, with a smile that didn't quite make it to his eyes. I'm no telepath, but I don't see any silver linings in your future. Unfortunately, Section 31 doesn't forget, and it never forgives. Tread lightly. Eric nodded slowly. And I will thank you for your time, Mr. Locke. David growled something under his breath and fell back into his bed.
2: Josie felt tired. He was annoyed that he couldn't remember a lot of things. Was he that drowsy when he gave the orders to allow Thurman on board without guards? He was also annoyed that he had, had let his emotions shine by having a go at Christopher. He turned to look at his fellow patient. Hey, Goldar. How you doing, mate? Goldar jumped slightly and looked over. Oh, um, I'm tired, sir, and you? I've oh, been better, mate. Being better. I've uh, got a lot of in to do. Gordar looked away, but he couldn't maintain his disinterest for long. After all, what else was there to do right now? With a glance at the nearest guard, he turned to face the lieutenant commander again. Being stuck in sickbay and unhoused arrest had effectively cut Joseph off from the information flow of the ship. If he was going to get answers, he would need to find a new sort of information. Perhaps a Ferengi source. So, uh, Ianson, do you know anything about this red alert? Gordar shrugged but looked concerned. Not really, sir. I think it has to do with your brother coming aboard. The XO did not like the idea of a rogue operative aboard the ship. The Carlin didn't look at him, but cut him off. Guldar, I don't know who you met, but he was my brother. He's currently in disguise. Joe said in a voice that had held more of an edge to it as he thought back to the encrypted and communication. Guldar noticed the obvious change in Joe's tone. So is your brother not here at all? The Carlin remained still deep in thought. He's here. I couldn't begin to guess where or what he looks like, other than an old man. Goldar sat up. He was disguised as an older human, sir? Joseph turned and looked at him. Yeah, Goldar, he was. There was an older human that stole the shuttle with the Lieutenant Andrew, m- my friend. His voice hardened suddenly. Uh, my friend who shot me in the shoulder. It might be him. Joseph looked up and reached out and tapped the security panel. The calendar, Captain Quinn. I believe my brother is on a stolen shuttlecraft with an accomplice from the Starbase personnel. Quinn responded almost straight away. Thank you Mr. DeCam.
4: Eric hadn't been back on the Arabella for more than fifteen minutes when his communicator chimed for a second time. Una James to Eric James, in the sultry voice of his soon to be ex-wife. Eric here, he said and paused briefly in the corridor to access one of the wall controls. Eric's fingers moved over the display as he searched for the names of already cleared ship personnel. I have transferred the detector to your new shuttle. Roy is installing it now, Una said softly. I am also ready to link my sensor information to your ship so that you can track the other vessel. Thank you again, Una, he replied. Is there anything else I need to know? We've said what we've had to say, Eric. This is about recovering technology that rook elements of your government shouldn't have. Euretno has assured me that recovery will be a priority. Eric sighed. I didn't mean us, but we will get everything sorted out. I hope so. Commander James closing channel. Eric worked quickly and transmitted a message to Rory. She would need a pilot while she operated the system and her tail was growing colder with each passing minute. Having his badge, Eric focused on getting her a pilot. Commander James sends on Goldar. Please report to secondary shuttle bay in the shuttlecraft Sephra for additional orders. Arik said, clearing the display screen and moving into the turbo lift. Sir? Yes, sir. On my way. Out. In the disembodied voice of a Ferengi.
5: The call for Ensign Galdar pierced the relative quiet of sickbay. Ryla turned a serious expression to the Ferengi. I believe that was for you. Acknowledging the call, Galdar met her gaze and nodded once as he dropped to his feet. He'd been sitting quietly on the edge of the bio bed since his physical, not wanting to risk the corridors during lockdown with a non-Arabella ID. I believe so, Doctor, he said, not completely hiding his surprise. Assuming this isn't a complex ruse of some sort, I'm guessing my Starfleet career's not as doomed as I'd feared. He flashed her a brief and very toothy grin, which Ryla easily returned. He moved toward the door, but halted quickly at the first breath of air across the new and slightly tender skin of his shoulder. Turning back to Ryla, he grinned again. "'If it's not too much trouble, could I replicate myself a new tunic before I go?' "'Certainly,' she said as she led him to the device set on the wall near the lab. "'You don't need the old messy tunic to get a drink on the house for heroic deeds. I'll buy you one myself when you return. What would you prefer? A black hole?' the Ferengi Starduster, Warpcore Breach? Doctor, he asked, a little surprised. Well, I won't decline. I haven't had a proper Starduster in months. Thank you. Facing Ryla, he brought the insides of his wrists together, cupped his hands and bowed slightly in the manner traditional of his people. Straightening, he turned to the replicator. As the tunic coalesced in front of him, he looked back over his shoulder. Of course, if this is some elaborate ruse designed to entrap me for something, then my return may be somewhat less than expected. He turned his back once again, quickly removing his damaged clothing and pulling on the replacement. You're sure I don't need to keep these? He asked with a more relaxed smile. Not waiting for an answer, he returned them to the replicator for reclamation. The hum of dissolution reverberated around sickbay as Galda walked to the door and out to what he hoped was his first formal assignment aboard ship. As he had hoped, the Arabella was turning out to be a much more interesting post than the station had been.
0: So that's going to do it for this week's The Ready Room, but before I go, I want to thank a few of our writers. We have Feathers, Jin, Hawkeye Meds, Star Trek Phonetic 5, and Just X. And I also want to thank our readers this week, Hawkeye Meds, Star Trek Phonetic 5, Moyer Seven Seven Seven. Billy Bob, Dangelus, and Cosmonaut. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. This is Kenny. Hailing frequencies closed.
1: The Ready Room theme and other RPG music was composed by Rick Moyer. All other music was obtained through the Podsafe Music Network. Read more about the adventures of the USS Arabella at trexandsci-fi.com.
0: Greetings, Guildies. I'm Kenny. And I'm Jenny. After listening to this great podcast, why don't we turn into our podcast? Knights of the Guild. The official fan podcast for the web series The Guild.
4: Each month, we'll bring you the latest news about the Guild cast, including what projects they're working on and what conventions they'll be attending.
0: Also, we'll be updating you on the current season. We'll talk about some behind-the-scenes fun of Season 2. As well as having cast, crew, and fan interviews. So head over to iTunes and subscribe to Knights of the Guild. Or go to our website for a direct download at of knightsoftheguild.podbean.com. Zaboo! <laughs> Hi, I'm Rick Moyer, and I want to tell you about my
3: brand new podcast. It's called Take Him With You. Every week I talk about what's going on in my geeky little world of television, music, and in my faith. My hope is... That in a world that can sometimes be really depressing, for at least a few moments, you can be encouraged and smile a bit. So come check it out, www.takehimwithyou.com, the weekly podcast that's spiritual, not religious. I'd love to have you listen.
2: Thanks. How cool is this podcast? That means that you excellent people who are listening to this cool podcast are even more cooler. How cool is that? So once you've finished listening to this podcast, why don't you come over to our podcast and give us a go. We're called Waffle On. You can find us on iTunes. Simply type in Waffle On or go to our webpage. And you'll find us at http: forward slash forward slash waffleon.podbean.com. We do TV. We talk about classic TV from 1960 to 1990. You'll find everything here from sci-fi to comedy, from drama to thriller. Come and check us out. We're called Waffle On.
4: (laughs) No, I don't think he likes you at all. (laughs) No,
2: I don't like you either.
4: (laughs)
1: I love that. That is so great. That's good writing. Yes, because... It's not much dialogue. And because George Lucas didn't write all the (coughs) dialogue. I'm Jen. And I'm Angela. And when you're not listening to this glorious podcast, we would love to have you listen to ours, the Anomaly Podcast.
4: That's A-N-O-M-A-L-Y podcast.com.